Today we have a special call planned. Both of our ESPN NFL draft analysts are going to take part in the Q&A. We'll start with Mel Kuyper first. He will answer questions for the first 45 minutes or so, and then Todd McShay will take over at about 3.45. I know I say this each call, but I truly appreciate all of the media members on the line making time to join us, so thanks so much. To keep this call as efficient and content-packed as we can, I respectfully ask everyone to please skip any personal greetings and begin right away with your question. We'll start with Matthew Kawahara at the San Francisco Chronicle and then Angelique Shangelis with the Detroit News. Hi, uh, Mel. Thanks for your time. Just wanted to... Sure, no problem. I uh, just had a question about the Raiders. Kind of what you see as... Um, the best way for them to maximize the three picks that they have in the first round, whether that's by uh, packaging some in, the, in a trade or, or addressing specific needs, but what you see is the best uh, best case scenario for them in the first round. I think it's a wait and see as to who's there at four. If Josh Allen were there, Quinn and Williams to take the best player, if they deem him worthy of being the fourth pick in the draft. So then that will be determining how you attack 24 and 27. I would think Josh Jacobs, the running back from Alabama, would be in play. John loves those types of hard-charging running backs that will block well and catch out of the backfield, multi-dimensional complete backs uh, would be something. And then maybe they trade out of there. You know, Mike's going to want, Mike Mayock's going to want a lot of the, uh, the opportunity may present itself there to move down with that uh, 27th pick and get picks, extra picks, and not lose a lot. So I'll be interested to see if they use all three picks or, like I say, they use two of the picks and, and move down with that third option. We'll go to Angelique Shangelis, followed by Bob McManaman with the Arizona Republic. Mel, I think you've been a little hot and cold on, on Rashawn Gary. I'm, I'm not sure if that's probably not the right description, but um, what, where do you think now going into this, this week, into draft week, where Rashawn is and what kind of pro he's going to be? Well, you know, you say hot and cold, and that's accurate because, you know, you thought he would be top five, top ten based on his physical talent and the way he tested at the combine, but then you, you know, the lack of production, lack of sack production, ten sacks in 34 games. Um, you know, has pushed him through. I'd won a GM say 10 to 28 for a range for Jorshan Gary. 10 to 28, that's a heck of a range. For a guy who's very polarizing because, you know, some teams may figure once he's in the NFL, we can coach him up and get the sack production. Others will say, hey, Chase Winovich was getting production and in the backfield being disruptive and he was coached by the same staff and he was running in the same scheme. So, yeah, I just think by the time you get to the middle of the first round, maybe Miami, Angelique at 13, somebody like that, the Giants at 17 if they get the quarterback early, you know, somebody Minnesota at 18. I think somebody in that 13 to 18, 13 to 20 range, uh, or 13 to 19 range may look at Rashawn Gary. We'll go to Bob McManaman and then Josh Kendall with the state. Mel, you probably know what's coming, but uh, tell me what your real best options are for the Cardinals at number one besides Kyler if for some reason they decide to skip that because maybe they're afraid of the baseball question. Well, then he would move, maybe hopefully be able to get an opportunity to move down. Maybe Oakland would move up. I don't know if that would happen with somebody else, and maybe you move down and pick up some choices. Uh, maybe you take Quinn and Williams, uh, if that's the, something they look at. I don't know how they'll view the, the players, the pass rusher like Nick Bosa or an interior presence like uh, Quinn and Williams, but that would be your options if they passed on Murray and, and go forward with Josh Rosen. So uh, I think trade down or, uh, like I say, get the, the pass rusher either outside with, with Bosa or inside with Williams. 
We'll go to Josh Kendall and then Ferd Lewis with the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Mel, what's your opinion of South Carolina's Debo Samuel and where he fits? And is there a chance that any of those other South Carolina guys get drafted in the later rounds? Well, I think when you look at, at Debo, I had thought when you think about the second round, and, he, and I wouldn't count him out for the late first. I think that's a, a possibility. Uh, I think you look at it's a great second-round receiving group, which it is. He's probably right near the top of that list in the second round ahead of some of the other guys. So, I mean, if he's your first after, say, Metcalf and Marquise Brown, if he's going to go Arizona, you think about you know, where he could end up in that early second round, there's plenty of opportunities there. You know, Green Bay at 44 I think would be a good spot. You know, Washington at 46. If Baltimore moved down in the first, into the early second, I think that would be a spot maybe for them. Rashad Fenton, the corners, got a chance, I think, to be a late-round pick. Bryson Allen-Williams, linebackers, got a chance, I think, to get into the late rounds. Dennis Daly, I like uh, as a right tackle. I think he could be maybe a fourth-round type of player. Uh, Zach Bailey, with a versatility, could be a guy that I think factors in late in the draft. So they're going to have uh, some guys drafted other than Debo Samuel. Most of those guys, I think, will be day three picks. But Samuel, I think, is a solid two. We'll go to Ferd Lewis and then Ben Swanson with the DenverBroncos.com. Tell me where you see Jelani Tavai, Hawaii linebacker, going, and do you think the John Ursua slot back will be drafted? Yeah, Tavai I like, and I, and I think Ursua is a, uh, is a slot receiver, certainly has a great opportunity uh, to, you know, to play in the league and have a nice career. Um, I think when you look at where Tavai will go, I'll say fourth round, early day three, and I think Ursua late rounder uh, in that sixth or seventh round area. Next up is Ben Swanson, and then Parrish Alford with the Daily Journal. Hey, Mel, how much of an immediate impact do you think Devin Bush could have in Vic Fangio's defense? I think a huge impact. Uh, I think the Denver-Cincinnati uh, would be two great opportunities for him. He's all over the field. He's, he's basically going to give you what the, 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 the speedy, athletic Deion Jones-type linebackers you know, are giving teams in the NFL right now, the way he flies to the football. And he's a great leader. He's got a, a tremendous passion for the game. So uh, I think he fits today's NFL perfectly. And like I say, he would be a great fit for, for Denver or Cincinnati. Next up is Parrish Alford and then Andrew Hussey with the Wolverines. Hey, Mel, can you tell me why Ole Miss's Greg Little and A.J. Brown have kind of slid in their projections, and do you believe DeMarcus Lodge is drafted somewhere? You know, I think in terms of A.J. Brown, yeah, there was a couple drops here and there. I think you look at the second, I mentioned those second-round receivers like Debo Samuel. That's where he figures right now. He's got a chance to be a productive slot receiver, kind of in that Jarvis Landry mold. I think with little, just some inconsistencies for a talented athlete like he is, for a kid who has the skill set he does, um, should dominate a little more. But, you know, he certainly has a chance to be a second-round draft choice, at worst a third. Lodge could possibly, uh, I think, become a draft player late, if not a priority free agent. He, he's right now in a group that would say sixth, seventh round or free agent. He certainly has the ability to make a team as a fourth or fifth receiver, but probably later undrafted. We'll go to Andrew Hussey and then Brian Costello with the New York Post. Mel, another Michigan defender, cornerback David Long, where do you think he can go and where do you, what makes him such a good cornerback? 
Well, first of all, he, he tested well. Yeah, I thought he played well. And I think you look at Levert Hill. Uh, we were looking at him, and all of a sudden there's David Long. And uh, you know, everybody seemed to think Long was right there with Hill or slightly ahead. Hill's going back. But I think when you look at Long, the physicality of the way he plays, in addition to being a good cover guy, I think he's a solid early to mid two. Uh, and I think he will be a guy who has a very, very solid career in the NFL. He's, he's, like I said, he's kind of risen a little bit through the process. That didn't have any, and there's nothing, you know, any negatives. It just seems like a solid progression up the board to the point where, like I say, he could go very early uh, on uh, Friday night. We'll go to Brian Costello and then J.C. Zimbal with NC State. Mel, there's been um, a lot of noise in the last few days connecting the Jets and Ed Oliver. Just wondered what you think of that fit and then possibly taking over Williams or Allen there um, and just kind of your overall thoughts on Oliver. Yeah, Oliver, they're getting names into that mix, maybe with the idea of trading down. Throw as many names into that third spot as you can. Oliver certainly uh, has a chance to be a really good player if he can maintain 280, 285. And that's the question. Will he be 272, 275, or 280, 285 through a long NFL season? He's a gifted athlete. He runs well. He should be able to close and get sacks once he's coached up in the right scheme. Um, you know, I think that certainly wouldn't shock me. What would surprise me is that they took Oliver over Quinn and Williams, uh, who could be there at three as well. But, uh, you know, they keep talking about getting that second-round pick back, and the way you do it is to trade down from three. We'll go to J.C. Zimbal and then Andrew Doherty with Hero Sports. Yes. Uh, how do you see Garrett Bradbury the last three months and his rise to possibly a top-40 pick? And then what other NC State guys do you see going possibly in the first couple of days? Well, I think with Bradbury, you got a kid who's first a solid kid all the way around, leader of your offensive line, real good anchor up front. I think the only question is going to be for me is how those big, physically gifted defensive tackles do against him. But uh, I think when you look at the way he tested again and when it works in conjunction with the type of player he was, you know, he's 6'3", 306 pounds, uh, he doesn't have great arm length. I think that's going to be the other issue with the short arms, but he's a very athletic kid, very strong in the upper body. So there's a lot to like there's the only concern with me would be the short arms and, the, and how he'll do against those physically imposing defensive tackles. I think you look at a guy like Kelvin Harmon, possession receiver. I think he could be a third round pick. Jacoby Myers, wide receiver, more of a later round pick. Uh, I think you look at uh, yeah, a guy like Darian Roseboro, more of a late round pick, was a little banged up this year, but showed some pass rush ability. Jermaine Pratt, I've liked him all year, linebacker with his versatility. I think he could be in the third, uh, fourth round discussion. So I would say, you know, after uh, after Brad. Barry, I'd go to Harmon and Pratt as their next two best prospects. We'll go to Andrew Doherty, followed by Steve Mims with the Register Guard. Hey, Mel, looking outside of the first round, what prospects who you don't think are going to go in that first round? Are you buying the most stock in as an NFL player? Well, I think when you look at the second round, uh, you know, for Miles Sanders, running back out of Penn State, really like him, and he's going to probably be a second-round pick, not a first-round pick and not a top pick like Saquon Barkley was, but he took over for Barkley and did a really good job. I'm buying Debo Samuel. 
wide receiver South Carolina, or J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, wide receiver Stanford. I think they're two really good players at that point. And a, and a tight end that I, I think is going to be a little bit of a, of a I wouldn't say a sleeper, but an, an under-the-radar guy is Kahale Waring at a San Diego State. Certainly keep an eye on him. And I like Dalton Reisner and Caleb McGarry, two tackles uh, in the second round, as well as Connor McGovern, a guard out of Penn State in the second round. And as far as defensive linemen are concerned, at the defensive tackle spot, uh, Kaylin, uh, Colin Saunders, defensive tackle out of Western Illinois. I've talked about him a lot uh, over the last couple months. I really like him. And Chase Winovich, outside linebacker from Michigan, like him in the second round. I would certainly buy him. And a couple corners, Lonnie Johnson, Jr., Kentucky, Justin Lane, Michigan State, could be really good picks in round two, as well as safeties, Juan Thornhill, Virginia, Kerry Willis, Michigan State, and Will Harris, Boston College. There's a host of safeties and wide receivers are going to be really good second-round picks. Next up is Steve Mims, and then Matt Stipokoski with the New Jersey Advanced Media. Yeah, Matt, looking or Mel, looking at Oregon, just curious where you slot Jalen Jelks and, and Dylan Mitchell, and do you see Hollins and Amadi getting drafted late? Yeah, I think Hollins, because of the way he, and how athletic he is, I think they can coach him up a little bit. He could end up, I think, early day three. Uh, and I think that would be the guy. And Jelks just never had the production that I think his talent indicated was possible. Um, but he's got length, and he's flash. So I think he could end up in that third, fourth round mix. The other guy's more late rounders. I think Dylan Mitchell, you know, he's right now, if I look at my wide receiver board, he's in that mix to be a day three pick. Uh, and I look at the rating on him where he's projected, I'd say maybe fifth, Sixth round is a possibility. He's the 30, and it's his grade is 32, same as the 23rd. So I'd say fifth, sixth round for Mitchell. We'll go to Matt and then Nick Baumgartner with the Detroit Free Press. Hey, Mel, I know you already talked uh, a bit about Ed Oliver to the Jets. Just curious how far down you think the Jets would be able to, to trade and still comfortably be able to pick him up. Uh, you know, not taking too much of a risk. Right. Miss on it. right. Uh, yeah. It, it would Oliver or even Wilkins, whoever they deem, you know, would be in the mix of other defense. But say Oliver, I would say for Oliver, um, probably nine to Buffalo. I think that would, if Buffalo doesn't trade out of there and let somebody jump up ahead of Denver to get a quarterback, Buffalo, would, I think, would be a good landing spot for Oliver. So, uh, yeah, I'd say right now, I don't think he could go really past nine and then guarantee that. I think most people think Oliver's a top ten pick. Next up is Nick Baumgartner and then Brooks Cabina with The Advocate. Hey, Mel, you mentioned a couple of the Michigan guys. I'm wondering uh, where, you, where you land on the rest of them, uh, Bush, Higdon, uh, Gentry, and then Winovich. Yeah, I think of, the, of that group, and I mentioned the, you know, the second-round possibilities of Winovich, and, and certainly Long. I think they're both you know, right there where they need to be in terms of being, like I say, solid day two uh, type of players. Or, and I say for those guys, early day two. I think for Long, mid-day two. Uh, I think for Winovich. I think, you know, you look at Karan Higdon, running backs always drop a little further than they should, but I'd say fifth round would be a great spot for him. Uh, Gentry never emerged as a kind of tight end, you know, the, the quarterback than tight end and the little inconsistency at times with the hands, adjusting to some poorly thrown balls. I'd say late rounder for him. Uh, Kennel the safety, maybe late rounder as well when we talked about Gary. But I would say, and Bush, but I think you look at, uh, at, at right now Long and Winovich as two really good football players that I, I don't see get out of the second round. Next up is Brooks Cabina and then Kellis Rabbit with the Wichita Eagle.
And folks, your line is open. Can you hear us, folks? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, yeah, Brooks. So what right you got? Ahead. Hello. Go ahead. What you got, Brooks? Um, recently, you've been pretty consistent with Devin White as an early first rounder and uh, Reedy Williams a late first rounder. Is there anything that could change going into this week, and why is Devin White uh, a good fit in Tampa? Well, they need him, first of all. It's a big need area for them, linebacker. Uh, obviously, with Quan Alexander moving on, they've had some hits there, and uh, he fits what they need uh, to give a real leader of that defense. He could be the leader of the cornerstone of the defense. He's got great character. I talked about how he's perfect for today's NFL. So, uh, Greedy Williams, I think late first, Kansas City wants a speed at corner. They, they're lacking right now in speed, and that, that gifted athlete that, uh, that Williams is and a potentially really good cover guy. He was a little banged up with the stinger this year. Maybe that contributed to the tackling woes that he had and the tackling issue, the question mark of Wolf had the physicality or lack of of Greedy Williams. But I think for Kansas City uh, at 29, uh, you would certainly be willing to roll the dice that you know he's going to be a pretty good cover guy. If he becomes more complete, then you may have a Pro Bowl caliber corner. All right, we'll go to Kellis Robinette, followed by Aaron McMahon with MLive Media Group. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask, uh, why do you or why are you so high on Dalton Reisner from Kansas State? And then I also wanted to get your take on Alex Barnes from the same school. Where do you think he might go? And do you see anybody else from K-State going later in the draft? Yeah, I think when you look at, at Barnes, uh, yeah, I think more of a late rounder, a right? you know, hard-nosed inside type runner, but uh, limited in terms of, of speed and what he can do at the pro level in terms of making people miss. In terms of Reisner, I just love how tough he plays with a chip on his shoulder, he finishes blocks, and he has the versatility to be either an inside presence or stay at that right tackle, be a, a starting right tackle in the NFL. So I just I like the way the kid plays the game. I think he's going to be a solid player. Like I said, he could be a guy who moves inside has tremendous versatility. I think when you look at other guys that have a chance uh, to be guys, I think Walker's got a shot to make a team as a situational type guy, a special teamer. Uh, but uh, yeah, cause the guy's going to go to highest is without a question. Reisner, I have a second-round grade on him right now. All right, Aaron McMahon is up, and then Mark Vaughn with the Buffalo News. Well, you've been pretty high on Devin Bush, obviously, since the get-go. What is your range for him? I know you said one for Rashawn Gary earlier. What do you think of Devin Bush? You know, I thought he might get to 20 to Pittsburgh you know, several times during the process, but I, everybody's so positive on, on Devin Bush. And the, the consistency and the tape, game-to-game consistency, love of the game. Uh, today's NFL fits in perfectly. There's not much separating him from Devin White. If Devin White's going to go 5 to Tampa, they both ran similar, 4-4-2, 4-4-3. They were right there. You know, White, uh, Bush ran early, White ran right, and White matched what Bush ran and, and exceeded a little bit. But they're both very similar. I would say I can't see him getting past 11. I really, I, I think he's one of the best football players in this draft. He's right now number seven on the big board, on my big board. I don't see him getting past 11. We'll go to Mark Gaughan and then Bill Rabinowitz with the Columbus Dispatch. And Mark, your line is open. Sorry, I had it on mute. Uh, Yes, the receiver depth, I mean, it seems like every year into the fourth, fifth round, it's pretty good. What do you think about, uh, uh, you know, early in the third day, fourth, fifth round, uh, those, you know, fair number of prospects? 
Yeah, I think Andy Isabella from UMass, one of the fastest players in the draft, if not the fastest, and what he did against SEC foes was pretty impressive, and he has returnability. So I think you get an Andy Isabella third, fourth round. If you can get a if Terry McLaurin from Ohio State drop down there with his special team's ability and his speed, uh, he would be a really good pick. Nicole Hardman with his speed and his returnability out of Georgia. Penny Hart, same thing, slot guy out of Georgia State would be interesting. Deontay Johnson out of Toledo. Uh, I think there's going to, like I said, there's, you're going to see some really good. If you want to roll the dice on a kid had the off-the-field issue and didn't have a great pro day but had a phenomenal year, it was Preston Williams at Colorado State. If you're looking at a late-round guy who's got a chance to play better than some of the guys go in the second, third round. So I think it's going to be a really good group of – I mean, right now I have – I have 49 receivers with makeable grades. So that's, that's pretty impressive when you get that many that at least you think, think have a chance to stick on an NFL roster. We'll go to Bill Rabinowitz, followed by Joey Knight with the Tampa Bay Times. Yes, Mel, you have Bosa going to the 49ers for the second pick and Haskins to the Giants for the sixth. How confident are you that that's where they will land? What are the likely landing spots? Could there be for them if they don't go there? And are there any other Ohio State players you think have a chance to go in the first round? Yeah, I think right now Bosa for two makes sense because they need pass rushers. That they brought in D Ford. They had Buckner step up to 12 sacks last year. Just keep it going, and they may end up trading Solomon Thomas. That's the word Adam Schefter reported that last week. So I think the pass rush that they've been lacking could be well fortified with Ford coming in and uh, and then drafting Bosa to go along with Buckner's development last year. Then you look at Haskins. I think if you listen to everything that's coming out of that uh, all the rumor mill, it's the Giants aren't going to take him at six. Well, you could end up at 15 to the Redskins, and I want to see if the Redskins maybe try to move up uh, to acquire his services or just wait and see if he'll fall in their lap at that point. But I think the range would be down and the ceiling, uh, you know, the lowest he would go. Ceiling being the highest would be six, and I don't see that necessarily happening right now. And the lowest he could fall, as I said, would be in that, let's say, 15 range. In terms of the Ohio State players, you know, I look at Paris Campbell as a second-round pick. I think people are concerned that hey, the average per catch didn't equate to the, to the type of speed he has. He's not as good after the catch, say, as a Debo Samuel is and some of the other guys, but he can run that go route, that nine route, and I think that's going to get – and he's got great characters. So I think second round for him. Terry McLaurin, no worse than second or third round. Johnny Dixon, wide receiver, I have a fifth-round grade on him. Michael Jordan, center guard, have a third-round grade on him. Isaiah Prince, tackle, have a sixth-round grade on him. Draymond Jones, defensive tackle, second-round grade. A Kendall Sheffield, corner, have a fourth-round grade on him. So as you can see, a host of players, uh, draftables coming out of Ohio State, and some of those guys pretty high. Joey Knight is up, and then Bill Bender with the Sporting News. Mel, I'd like your uh, projection for uh, defensive end Byron Cowart, who kind of had a redemptive year of sorts at Maryland after flaming out at Auburn. Yeah, that's exactly should come in coming out. He was the number one player. He got the elite grade coming out of high school and at Maryland and to watch that team and saw the development of Darnell Savage Junior into a first round pick. And I think Coward's got a chance on day three to come in and show some pass rush ability. I thought he handled run responsibilities better. So yeah, I think fifth, sixth round, I think it would be open to a possibility of Coward going. We'll go to Bill Bender and then Phil Rosenthal with the Chicago Tribune. Uh Mel two Two edge rush, well, two defensive linemen I wanted to ask about. One, we haven't talked about Josh Allen yet today, and I was wondering what you believe will make him a long-term, you know, successful edge rusher in the NFL. And then two, you've talked about Oliver a lot, but, you know, what was the 
What, what's maybe the biggest disconnect some of us college guys have with believing he was the best player in college football the last two years versus seeing him fall out of the top ten? Well, let's go to, to Oliver first and say I think it's just the fact that you know people that you talk to in the league said, okay, you know, he you're going to survive at two seventy two, two seventy five. Uh, you know, how you will you, what weight will you hold? Will you be able to? You didn't get the sack numbers in college, and you all of a sudden translate into sacks in the NFL. Same concern we have with Rashawn Gary to a lesser extent because Oliver was more productive. He was disruptive. He didn't get the sack numbers, but he was in that backfield wreaking havoc. And I think you're right off this year. I think you know, these guys kind of get the old senioritis things. They're Start thinking about the draft and teams not doing as good as thought, and, and their, their, their attention turns to staying healthy and, and getting ready for the draft. In terms of, of Josh Allen, he was the, he had a great year. Went from seven sacks the previous two years to seventeen. Was a consistent force. He's got length. He closed. He played with an attitude and an edge. Um, yeah, that defense completely dis- destroyed the the, the, the uh, Missouri offense led by Drew Locke. Completely shut them down in the second half. They had three and out after three and out. That secondary and the pass rush was too much for Drew Locke and company. So uh, I think Josh Allen is worthy of being a top five pick. I've said it all year. Um, Oakland would be a great spot for him. The Jets would be a great spot at three. The Giants at six want the best pass rusher right there with Bosa in the draft. It would be Allen from the edge standpoint. So uh, I don't see him getting past six, and I think he should go in that three-four spot. All right. We'll go to Phil Rosenthal, followed by Jory Epstein with USA Today. What kind of running backs do you think are going to still be around for the Bears in the third round, or do you think they have to move up to get something of quality? Yeah, I think if Miles Sanders is a second-round pick, I think he will be. Uh, Third-round possibilities would be Damian Harris from Alabama, who we thought back in August would be a first. Could drop into the third. Could go into second, but could possibly be there in the third. Travion Williams, Texas A&M, I think could be there in the third. And uh, Justice Hill, Oklahoma State, after running that phenomenal 40 time that he ran uh, at the Combine, I think has moved Justice Hill up to the point where, like I say, when you run as well as he did and you had the game-breaking ability that you showed, he ran Four four even strong kid with great athletic ability. He could be there possibly, but no guarantee. And I think Devin Singletary, after running four six six, looked like a second round pick prior to that. He will be there. David Montgomery, Iowa State, will be there. Rock Armstead Temple has moved up to the point where he will probably be a third round pick instead of a fifth round pick. So you're looking right there at six running backs. Uh, I'd say I almost would guarantee that five of those six and maybe all six will be there in the third round. Jory Epstein is up, and then we'll go to Chris Tillery with the Detroit Free Press. Hi, Mo. When you look at that talent level from about pick 15, 20, we're hearing through 70 being strong. What do you think the Cowboys should do at pick 58, and what position do you expect to be the strongest of the ones that they need there? Well, I think when you look at Dallas and you think about the, you know where they're picking, uh, you know, and you talk about you know uh, that particular point at 58, uh, you know, it depends, you know, how they're. I, I wouldn't force a need. That's where you definitely don't want to force a need. Defensive line, wide receiver, uh, you know, you could look at a tight end. Kahale Waring is a tight end that I've liked. The, you know, he's added weight. He's played. You know, he had that one year high school football with an athlete. Uh, he developed this year into a down the field threat. He's a hands catcher. He's not a body catcher. I really like Kahale Waring at a 
San Diego State. Dawson Knox out of Ole Miss is another tight end that could go in that general area of, of late round two. Uh, if you look at defensive line, Draymond Jones, Ohio State defensive tackle. Colin Saunders, defensive tackle, Western Illinois. And if you're looking wide receivers, there's going to be a good receiver uh, you know, uh, slipping through the cracks there and getting to that point in the draft. You could see a Paris Campbell, Ohio State could still there. You could see Nikhil Harry, Arizona State still there. Miles Boykin, Notre Dame could still be there. So I think those are some of the position areas and some of the players that, uh, that like I said, could be around at pick 58. We'll go to Chris Soleri, followed by Mike Barber with the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And Chris, your line is open if you can hear us. Try one more time. Chris, can you hear us? Okay, let's go to Mike Barber with the Richmond oh. Times. Yeah, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Mike, can you hear us? Eric, can you hear me? Pardon Hello? The interruption. We have, we have Chris's line open. Okay, okay. finally. Hi. <laughs> um, Mel, I had a couple of curious questions about Justin Lane and Kari Willis in particular. Uh, you mentioned them with a second round grade. Was there anything in terms of interview process or film that stood out with them? And there any other Michigan State guys you see getting drafted? Well, like them all year. I think when you look at, at both those kids, they, 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 you know, Lane, you could certainly watch them in coverage. I think every game you could see the improvement. Uh, then you test out and you have the length, obviously, uh, that everybody wants in a corner. Uh, you know, everything about him, to me, indicates he could be a late first. He could be one of those guys that didn't necessarily get mocked as a late first, but goes in the late first. And as far as Willis is concerned, it's a steadying force. He's your leader. He's kind of the quarterback of your defense. Uh, yeah, he's a guy that uh, you know, look at physically. Athletically, uh, you know, he just has—he's field fast. He's instinctive. Tested out really well athletically with that 34 and a half vertical. I think by, I would be very surprised if if Lane got out of the early to mid second. I'd be surprised if Willis went uh, any later in the early third. All right, we'll try Mike Barber next. Email deep into your notes, but uh, two guys who probably measured better than their video shows: cornerback Tim Harris out of Virginia, and offensive tackle Yash Nijman out of Virginia Tech. Uh, what is their outlook, and how do NFL teams look at guys who have the great measurables but not the video to back it up? Yeah, I think Nijman's going to be interesting because I think coaching can improve a player, and it's not a lot of depth at tackle. I don't know right now anywhere, but his grade is at 16 to 23. All those guys have a similar grade. 16th best tackle down to 23. That indicates he could be a day three pick. Harris, you're, you're right. He had the good uh, pro day. And I think when you look at the performance, didn't always match it. He's another kid bit of a bump, too. I have him right now as the 38th corner, but he's got the same grade as the 27th corner. So he could get into that, at least maybe work, workout-wise, he gets into the late-round discussion. But more so, I had him as a priority free agent prior to that. So I'd say priority free agent late-rounder there, and Nijman probably, like I say, a, a early, I'd say maybe an early to mid-day three. We'll go to Matthew Washington and then Eric Smith with the Minnesota Vikings. Hi, Mel. Uh, I know you have Gerald Willis uh, ranked pretty high. Could you talk about Willis and the other Miami Hurricanes in this draft? 
Yeah, Willis, uh, you know, like, to, you know, obviously had a solid year. He, you know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, you look at, you just pencil him in and, and, and put him in the starting lineup. That's what he's going to be, a starting, I think, I don't know about Pro Bowl caliber, but he's right there with the, I think, the second tier of defensive tackles that will go in the second round of the draft, at worst the early third round. Uh, yeah, I love his, I love his leverage. I love his technique. He gets all, he gets, you know, he gets into that backfield. He can get down the line, uh, the way he uses his hands. I, you know, I think he's the kind of guy could be a little bit underrated. When you look back three, four years from now, he may be an underrated uh, prospect coming out of this draft. Jaquan Johnson doesn't run great, but I think plays faster. He's shown a knack for making big plays at that safety spot. I think the 40 time will push him into the late round. Sheldrick Redwine's got some versatility. Uh, I think he, in the right system, could be a good day three pick as well. So I'd say day three for both the safeties. Uh, Travis Homer, running back, have a day three grade on him. So uh, yeah, there's no question it's Willis. Uh, Gerald Willis, like I say, is no worse. Probably a two, no worse than an early three. Oh, and I forgot Joe Jackson. And also Joe Jackson, the defensive end, has a chance to be a third-round pick as a pass rusher coming off the edge. We'll go to Eric Smith and then Brooke Pryor with the KC Star. Hey, Mel, there's been a lot of offensive line predictions for the Vikings, but in your latest mock, you had Gary at 18. Yeah. Why did you kind of buck, yeah. buck the trend and go D-line instead of O-line? Well, that was the mock. The, the, when Todd and I picked uh, as we would be the GM, and there was the linemen were gone. When that, that's what I took Chris Lindstrom at twelve to Green Bay. Todd took Jonah Williams a pick or two higher. So both the offensive linemen were gone. Cody Ford's a right tackle or a guard. I was looking for somebody that had a little bit more versatility. Jonah, I think, could be a left tackle. Uh, his arm length, he's got longer arms than Andre Dillard. Everybody's putting at left tackle. Yet there's Jonah Williams. Everybody wants to move the tack, right tackle or guard. So, and I thought he held his own against. Furl in the playoff game. So I like Jonah. I like Chris Lindstrom, who's played right tackle and right guard, mostly right guard. But uh, I think Lindstrom or Jonah Williams with Cody Ford as the third option. We'll go to Brooke Pryor and then Tom Krasovic with the San Diego Union Tribune. Hey, Mel, are the Chiefs better served to pick at that 29 spot or to use that pick as leverage for a, for a Frank Clark trader or future capital? Well, you know, it depends how they feel about Greedy Williams or the corners, because it may not just be Greedy Williams. You may have Rocky Sin from Temple still there. There's a chance that, that you could still have DeAndre Baker from Georgia there, Justin Lane, Michigan State. They may like the length and the, and the fact that he's more complete than, than Greedy. Maybe they like Justin Lane a little bit better. So I think they have to get a corner. I think that's, and, and, and the way the draft should flow, I don't think you'll have a corner come off the board till 20 where the Steelers are up. So between 20 and 32, you'll probably have three to four corners selected, with the Chiefs being one of those teams. I just think the board will flow the way they need it to, to make cornerback a spot that they can feel pretty good about acquiring one of those players. Next up is Tom Krasovic, followed by Ryan Mink with Ravens.com. Mel, if you look at the AFC West, if you could pick one good outcome for the first round for each team where you, you would feel that was a good pick for that team. Yeah, that's a good question. I think when you look at, at the division and what can happen with the Oakland Raiders and maybe stepping up and getting those, using those three picks, what they've done, they've got added 20 players already uh, to that roster. Now you add the draft choices to that roster. you got yourself a very improved football team. So I think the Oakland Raiders, if you get a Quinnen Williams or a Josh Allen, then you add a tight end like Irv Smith Jr. or a running back like Josh Jacobs. Then you look at the cornerback, whether they like Rocky Sin, whether they like Byron Murphy uh, or DeAndre Baker. If they can get the corner, the tight end, or a running back and get one of those defensive players, 
players in. Well, I think trading out would be a possibility as well to get accumulate more picks for them. Denver, it depends upon do you take the heir apparent to Joe Flacco and Drew Locke, or do you help? Drew, uh, help Joe Flacco and not draft Drew Locke, but instead look at either T.J. Hawkinson, the tight end from Iowa, if you were there, or keep improving your defense with a Devin Bush, the linebacker out of Michigan. Uh, for the Chargers, you know, I think, do you, do you make the move for Josh Rosen, give up the first-round pick, or do you sit there and take an offensive tackle uh, like a Cody Ford uh, from Oklahoma, a cornerback like Rocky Sin from Temple? Uh, I think when you look at, at where Kansas City would go, I, I keep saying corner. I think that's the area of, of major need, and I think either Greedy Williams, uh, a long, athletic, fast corner, or, like say, Justin Lane from Michigan State. Ryan Mink is up, and then Dave Matter with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Hey, Mel, do you think there's any chance that uh, one of the top edge rushers could fall to the Ravens at 22, a guy like Rashawn Gary or Montez Sweat because of the medical stuff, Gary because of the production, or or even perhaps a Devin Bush, Clellan Farrell, any of those guys you think could slide to them at 22? Yes, good question. And I think uh, Farrell could because he's not a guaranteed big-time edge rusher in the NFL. So I think people have concerns about whether he'll run into some resistance at the pro level. Uh, but he does have length and he does have some sack production. And he has been a guy who's played hard and gives you good run support as well. He, he, you know, and I think you look at Devin Bush. I don't see him being there, Ryan. Too good a player, seventh on the board. Too many teams I think will be looking at Devin Bush earlier than that. Uh, Rashawn Gary say sack production, the sack guy, he's not that yet. He, he didn't produce in college the sack result. If he's there, I don't know if they would take him or not, because uh, you got to kind of coach him up and hope you can do things that weren't done at Michigan. So I don't know about that one. Um, like the interior of the offensive line for an Eric McCoy, a wide receiver, but they may wait on that a little bit. An inside linebacker, you maybe look to the third round, a guy like Mac Wilson, Alabama, or Sione Takataki from BYU, or Bobby Ogariki from Stanford. So, uh, you know, some of those guys that they slid there, I don't know. I don't know if they would take a Gary or a Furl at that point over uh, the interior offensive lineman like Eric McCoy. And I to go to your question about sweat. If sweat dropped that far, it would have to depend on their medical because that would be the only reason. And if he's there, you almost have to take him. If, he, if your medical is fine uh, with the heart situation, if the medical's fine and your doctors clear him, if he's there, he would pretty much eighth best player on my board would I think override the other guys that we just talked about. We'll go to Dave Matter and then Matt Wenzel with M Live Media Group. Hey, Mel, two Missouri guys coming off injuries. Has, has Emmanuel Hall answered enough questions to be a, a day two guy? And any thoughts on Demaria Crockett and his chances on day three? Yeah, I think I think Hall, to me, when you look at the wide receivers, and there were some drops there, some opportunities that, that you know, he didn't always come through with the reception, but he's got that vertical stretch ability down the field, and, the, you know, certainly you could see the difference in Drew Locke when he wasn't on the field at times. Um, I think he, I got him as the 15th best receiver. I, I have a third-round grade on him right now. Crockett, I, you, you, you got to like the, the talent level of Crockett and the flashes you're seeing. I, I, yeah, I've said the running back depth this year is excellent. He's the 20th rated running back on the board right now. That gives him a great opportunity to be a day three pick or, at worst, come in as an undrafted priority free agent, and I think he can make a football team. We'll go to Matt Wenzel with MLive Media Group. Hey, Matt, with uh, Felton da- Michigan State's Felton Davis, where do you think do you project him to be drafted? Where do you think he would have gone had he not been injured? And kind of same question for L.J. Scott, if he'd had a healthy senior season 
do you think he's going to go, and where would you have projected him if he had been healthy? Yeah, that's the, exactly the thing. That's the unknown we're both. I mean, they, they've shown talent. Uh, this was the year didn't go the way you know, they thought, but I think when you look at the wide receiver group in general, uh, I think Felton Davis could still be a late-round pick. Same thing with Scott. It just depends upon when they were right. Did you see him in the, in, in the game where indicated that he could be future pros? So that, that's one of those hit-or-miss things for, for day, like say day three. It wouldn't shock me if we were talking about them and evaluating them and then just Providing that analysis on day three to everybody, or it wouldn't shock me if we're looking at them as a priority undrafted free agents. We'll go to Paula Pash with the Oakland Press, <laughs> and then Chad Bishop. Chad Bishop with two, 24-7 Sports. Hi, Mel. Um, Bob Quinn from the Lions has been talking noticeably about uh, trading down. Mm-hmm. Would would Rashawn Gary be a guy that he could go down for, or would he look at him at number eight? You know, not at I think eight might be a little high. I think you know Montez Sweat more so. If you're looking at Gary, you probably could maybe move down and still acquire him uh, at eight. Uh, like I say, you get into T.J. Hawkinson if he were on the board. Todd Sprint brought his name up a lot. I keep bringing up the pass rusher because you have you added Flowers, you have Oquara, you add another pass rusher to that group. So uh, I think you know that could be a spot because teams may want to move up into that area to guarantee the acquisition of a quarterback. And and uh, whether that be Buffalo at nine or trading down or, or Detroit, maybe they will have some takers there if you, uh, you know if the team wants to move up to get that quarterback. But I would think Montez Sweat, as long as he passes through the medical, okay, uh, would be. I think it would be a pass rusher who's had more production than Gary in that area of getting after the quarterbacks. I would go sweat with the medical being cleared, okay, to over Gary at that point. We'll go to Chad Bishop and then Dave Burkett with the Detroit Free Press. Hey, Mel, what's your assessment of Vanderbilt cornerback Jawan Williams, and, and where do you see a good fit for him this weekend? Yeah, he's a good press corner. He's a tough physical press corner. He's got the length. Uh, yeah, locating the ball sometimes down the field is an issue, but uh, I have him right now as a late, I say mid to late second rounder who, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think some teams may have a little bit higher grade. I think Todd even projected him at one point in the first round in one of his mocks, but I think more mid to late second. We'll go to Dave Burkett and then Norm Wood with the Daily Press. Hey, Mel, um, I know the Lions gave Trey Flowers a bunch of money in free agency and the Patriots took Chandler Jones, obviously, pretty high a few years back. But the Lions and the Patriots, too, they don't really seem to value defensive ends like true pass rushers, maybe quite as highly as some other teams. Correct me if I'm wrong, at least, but um, I don't know. What is it about what they ask that position to do or, or maybe what they look for in that position that allows them to have success with later-round guys and not need to get that elite sort of pass rusher? Yeah, it's kind of been both ways. You mentioned Chandler Jones and obviously getting flowers, and you think about Rob Ninkovich and the career he had, even when Mike Brable was there, you know, getting after the quarterback and doing things. So, you know, I think you're right. They have been able to kind of, you know, transform some guys in college who were productive but were kind of overlooked because they didn't have the great physical ability into guys that were productive within their system. But I think if you look at if they don't go that route, uh, you know, what direction do they go? Uh, there's not a receiver to take. T.J. Hawkinson could be gone. Uh, you think about, you know, there's no corner. The O line. I mean, maybe trading down. I think that, like I said, that's a possibility there to, to trade down and acquire more more choices for the Detroit Lions if, in fact, the trade possibility occurs. We'll go to Norm Wood and then Brian Batco with the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Hey, Mel. Uh, it's been uh, 26 years since uh, Virginia Tech hasn't had at least one player 
selected in the draft, and that's obviously in jeopardy this year. It sounds like you think Joshua Nijman has a chance to go third day. I, I was curious about uh, defensive tackle Ricky Walker, why he hasn't showed up on some of the boards. Maybe as a third-day pick. He was kind of a guy who was, I guess, a multi-year starter, good guy off the field. I know he played for what was a bad defense this past season, but uh, had played for some very good defense and helped to anchor it up, anchor it up front. Just, uh, just your take on Ricky Walker. Yeah, I, I agree. Went the way to the combine, but I thought had a good solid career. Hill, of course, was he kicked off team ends up at Miami. Uh, you know, Reynolds ends up at, with Texas A&M Commerce. A lot of things didn't transpire with some of the players you thought uh, were going to be in that draftable category. But I, I agree with you on Walker. Walker to me is a guy can get, you know has a chance. Uh, you, you see him in the right game. He looked like a guy could be maybe a fourth, fifth round pick. I think now, uh, and I'm just looking at where I have him ranked. Finally, after all said and done, uh, I have him as a 20th best defense. Defensive tackle is great, similar to the 15th. That tells you early to mid day three. So I think you're right. I think Walker is the kind of guy that uh, will have a chance. Uh, he was a productive player. He was solid, reliable player. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't have to just be a guy can occupy. He showed some some quickness and some disruption capability. So I'm with you on Walker. Uh, like I said, when you go to ESPN.com, you'll be able to access all these positional rankings uh, on Wednesday, and I'll also have the top 300 in there as well. Uh, but Walker right now is, has a draftable grade. All right, we are going to transition to Todd McShay. Mel, thank you. I will chat with you later. Hello, Todd. Hey, Ellie. Hey there. All right, let's start off here. We'll go to um, Brian Batco with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and then Daryl Streeter with Footballville. Running backs from Pitt, Quadrier Olison and Darren Hall, obviously they were – both productive in the same backfield, but it seems like they're they're valued as late round guys at best. Yeah, Quadri, you know, I, I like Quadri on tape. He's big, physical, 228 pounds. He ran a 4.58. It's you know solid for his size, and I just I think he's been a competitive, tough guy. And, and I think when you look at his career, never a you know huge playmaker in terms of. Big production, but he still averaged over six yards per carry last year and was consistent, and he was the guy. You know, even when James Conner went down and had the season-ending injury in in, uh, 05 or 15, I think it was, he rushed for over a 1,000 yards. He kind of just always was the next guy up, but I think he can be a, a good back as a rotational number two in the NFL, and I, I think he's very likely to be – I would say fifth, sixth round pick. All right. We'll go to Daryl Streeter and then Mark Tracy with the New York Times. Yeah, yeah I'm down here in Miami, y'all. Um, I just want to know, any other Miami Hurricane guys you think can be a surprise and jump up and get taken a little earlier? The Hurricanes? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Joe Jackson, defensive line, it's defensive end, he's to me, he's going to be a, I think, a mid-round pick, third, fourth-round range. Good player, solid player. He's not up there with the elite guys in this class, and obviously it's a very deep class. I mean, anytime you have a third-round grade like I do on Joe Jackson and he's the 19th best defensive lineman, you know it's a, a good group. And then the two other players I think are a little underrated in terms of this class are the safeties. Uh, Johnson and, and Sheldrick Redwine got very similar grades in that third round range. I, I think that they both have a chance to go. 
Obviously, Johnson running the four six nine at Indy didn't help at five ten, 191 pounds. Uh, but he's a really good player. He's instinctive, tough, you know, a tough guy who just is around the football. And, and Redwine is a little bit bigger and, and worked out better. But I don't – on tape, I thought Johnson was the better football player. But from a workout standpoint, Redwine at six foot, 196, running a four four four. It's going to be a little bit more intriguing to defensive back coaches that are, are trying to develop guys. We'll go to Mark Tracy and then Mark Weiser with the Athens Banner Herald. Hi, I was just wondering, uh, and thanks for doing this. Uh, regarding Nick Boza, obviously as a as a prospect, he speaks for himself. But there have been some reports of you know some tweets that he deleted that were controversial and political. And I was just wondering if that you think if that has affected any team's views of him, and if so, why? And if not, given that we've seen off-field off things affect other people uh, in the past, other draft prospects in the past, why not? I don't think it's going to affect him. I really don't. You know, his brother had some some stuff that he probably wanted to take back. They weren't political of nature, but um, that NFL teams were grilling him on earlier in his career when he was younger. You know, there's a lot of guys who have said some stuff that they regret, and I'm not saying that he regrets it. I, I just, and I, I'm not getting into the whole political thing, but I, I just, I think everyone has their own opinion, and I, I can't imagine a team sitting in a in a draft room, and I've asked teams, saying, you know what, we're going to pass on this guy because he's he's left or right wing, you know, or he he likes this guy and doesn't like this guy in terms of. The, the politics. So I think when it's all said and done, you're going to, as long as it's not something that is from a character standpoint, something that they've done in the past that is concerning or alarming, um, I, I don't think politics will play into where a guy gets picked. We'll go to Mark Weiser and then Dwayne Rankin with the Arizona Republic. So you had uh, DeAndre Baker at number 19 in, in uh, the mock draft. What do you like about him? Why is there a wide range of opinion on the top cornerbacks? And also your thoughts on Georgia wideouts, Ridley, Harmon, and then the edge rusher, DeAndre Walker. <laughs> um, DeAndre Baker is is a tough one because I think he's a really, really good football player. I think instinctually he's just a ball hawk. And he knows – he usually knows when to gamble and take a shot and go go after the ball and, and try to make a play. He's got really fluid, oily hips, as we say, and he can turn and run. I know his 40 time isn't good, but he he plays fast. Now, his technique is a little sloppy at times, and if he falls, part of it is going to be maybe some frustration from the coaching staff about the way he finished his career Um in terms of not playing in the bowl game, but being around and not being the best influence. That's the best way I can put it. So, I, you know, some teams are trying to sort through all that. We've got a cornerback class that's not great. Byron Murphy is, is a better zone corner coming out of Washington than he is man-to-man. Greedy Williams is a better man-to-man corner, but doesn't love to tackle and, and support the run. And so – at the top of the draft, every GM and personnel decision maker I've talked to, and, and I agree with it on tape, it, a lot more excitement is out there about the safety class than the cornerback class. And I think 
I think the value is probably for cornerback going to be somewhere in that second, third round range. And if um, if if DeAndre falls, it'll be in part because of of the reasons I laid out. All right, we'll go to Dwayne Rankin and then John Crick with the Toronto Sun. Yes, Todd. Uh, looking at Arizona State's draft history, I think they've had like one first rounder to say the last ten or so years. And obviously, they brought Herm Edwards in, and and, and he got the NFL connection, and, and now it looks like Harry will go a low day one or high day two. How much could that combination affect uh, not only uh, just future draft players coming out of ASU, but the recruiting of getting the kind of talent that, that goes that high in a draft? I mean, it never hurts. It never hurts to have, have a good player. No one loves her more than I do, but he obviously, you know, the kill was there when he got there, and he'll, he'll be the first to say it. But he also will be the first to just pound the table when it comes to the kill and his his character, work ethic, and what he's going to bring, not only as a big physical wide receiver, but a guy that is going to be a leader and, and a guy that you want in your in your room, in your locker room, in your wide receiver room, and, and just the, the effect that he'll have on your team, not just from a, a pass-catching standpoint, but from the, the leadership standpoint as well. So it's it, it only helps having guys that you can point to and say, hey, he was a top 50 pick. And as they continue to build, and what Herm did in year one, I, I was even surprised, to be completely honest with you. I, I You know, he did not inherit the best, roster in terms of talent and they I think they overachieved and that's always a sign of good coaching. We'll go to John Crick and then Greg Pickle with Penn Live. Hey Todd, wondering what you make of uh, a couple of the top Canadians coming out from Canadian universities. Matthew Betts, a defensive end from Laval who played in the East-West Shrine game and Morris Simba of Concordia. Uh, have you heard anything on them, what their draft grades might be? Yeah, Betts, I, I went back and watched the um, the East-West Shrine tape, and he had a really good week. You know, it seems like Concordia every year has one or two guys, but um, but Betts, to me, I, I, I think he's going to be a late-round pick when it's all said and done. I, I think just watching him and the way he handled good competition, it's so important in those all-star, all-star games for small school players and players from Canada to come in and, and get the opportunity and show that they can play against high-quality talent. And I, I think he, he performed well enough where a team will look at him and say, you know what, he's worth a late-round pick. At worst case, a, a priority free agent. We'll go to Greg Pickle and then Christopher Walsh with Bama Central. Greg has just disconnected, so I will proceed to open Christopher's line. Thank you. Alabama defensive backs and, and their potential. Um, Deontay Thompson and uh, Savion Smith. Uh, your, just your impressions of them, please. Yeah, Deontay got off to a great start this past year, and I thought his his play was a little bit up and down towards the end of the year. He had some opportunities to take the ball away and, and didn't. And you know, he just he wasn't he didn't finish the way I expected him to based off of the beginning of the season, but with that said, and even though he, he hasn't run a, a 40 and probably will not, like Ronnie Harrison, I think it was a year ago, 
I, he may fall. It, it may be the fourth round, late third, fourth round range, but I still think he's going to be a, a good a good player in the league. Um, he just he has range, and I think he'll continue to get better. I I think just like Coach Saban would that he probably would have been better off going back for another year and continuing to develop. But I, I, I do think over time that uh, Thompson's going to wind up outplaying where he eventually is going to get drafted. I like Savion on tape. I really did. Uh, 6'1", 200 pounds, but he ran a 4'6'4", four, four, and that's going to hurt. He ran he ran that at the pro day. I mean, he was somewhere, depending on the scout that you listen to, like 4'6'1", four, 4'6'5", six, six, that range. Um, but – as a corner, speed is so important, and so I think that's going to wind up hurting him. He's probably going to be a fifth-round pick somewhere in that range. But, again, I, a little bit like Deontay, I just I think both guys are better football players than where they could – they'll probably wind up getting drafted. We'll go to Clifton Brown and then Nate Ulrich with the Akron Beacon Journal. <clears throat> yeah, um, if, the, if the Ravens are at 22 – have a choice between uh, someone like a Cody Ford or D.K. Metcalf or Cleveland Farrell, any idea which way you think they would go and why? Hmm. I would lean edge rusher with Cleveland because I think it's a bigger need. I think Cody Ford's a a better prospect, but they're – the reports have been a little bit up and down. I think he was 329 at the combine, and some teams have, have said that he's been 340 plus at the private workouts. So there's some concern about him being able to keep keep his weight down. Um, but yeah, Cleveland would make a lot of sense. They need an edge rusher. They need linebackers. You know, offensive guard makes sense. But I, I would, I mean, I would guess Cleveland at that spot. We'll go to Nate Ulrich and then Alan Sanders with the Pittsburgh Sports Now. Hey, Todd. My question is about Jeffrey Simmons. Obviously, there's the off-field baggage and the ACL. Um, I'm just wondering if you're talking about a football player, his paid production, what he projects to be in the NFL. How good is he compared to the other top defenders in this class? And then how far do you think he could fall? Do you see any way he's uh, a day-two pick, or do you think he's definitely going to be uh, picked in the first round one way or another? I think Jeffrey Simmons is one of the five best football players in this draft. If you're just, as you said, just basing it purely off of game tape, I think you put him in the same exact range as a Nick Bosa, Quinnen Williams, Josh Allen, Devin White, and Ed Oliver. I mean, he's right there with those guys. So with the character and the durability and probably not being able to to contribute much, if if at all, as a rookie, I guess it wouldn't shock me if he fell out of the first round, but I still believe that he's going to wind up being a first-round pick. If I'm picking in the 20s, if I'm a team – like Seattle, for instance, or go down the line at Oakland, 24-27. Indy probably wants to find a guy that's going to help right away, but Philly at 25. Those type of teams, I think, I think they're going to wind up pulling the trigger because they, 
they know that he is a better person than what the care the off the field issue represents and they know that if he gets back to 100% which almost everyone does from the knee injury at this point with the medical advancements that he's going to wind up being a huge steal it may be you know, 2020 before he fully is is the player that he was this past year but i, I think he's going to be a really good player at the next level Next up is Alan Saunders, and then Evan Barnes with the Memphis Commercial Appeal. Hey, Todd. Uh, Mel was talking about how he doesn't think that uh, either the ins- the big inside linebackers will be there for Pittsburgh. Uh, what do you see as positions that are realistic for them to take there at 20? Yeah, I would agree with Mel on the, this one. Um, I think they could both be off the board, Devin White, Devin Bush, in the first 10 picks. They're they're that good. So it would be nice if you're – I mean, obviously it's a position of need. But I, I think when you get to 20, edge rusher, corner, probably two of the, the biggest spots. I think we talked about Cleveland Furrell, Furrell from um, from Clemson earlier would be a possibility. I also think, you know, the cornerback position, that's kind of where the corners start to come off the board. I think Byron Murphy would be would be a really good pick. Coming out of Washington again, he's not—he's not the fastest guy. He's not the best man-to-man cover corner. He's basically five eleven, one ninety. Ran a four five five at the combine, but he's—I think the most—I would say the most instinctive in terms of his ability to play zone coverage and and play off the ball and do different things. And I think Mike Tomlin and that defense uh, would would appreciate what he could do and be able to utilize him. Um, properly and allow him to be become a playmaker in their system. So I, I would say, yeah, I would say edge rusher and corner would probably be the two spots because there's after the Devons, White and Bush, there's really not a an off-the-ball linebacker that you want to draft probably, in, I mean, probably till late second, third round range. We'll go to Evan Barnes and then Bill Bender with Sporting News. Hi, Todd. Just one question about uh, Memphis running backs, Gerald Henderson and Tony Pollard. Um, what do you like about them as prospects, and do you see them? I know uh, Mel projects them as third-round, fourth-round guys, but where do you see them probably uh, ending up now? Yeah, I think I think third, fourth is is, is pretty accurate. Um, with Henderson, he kind of, he, he grows on you when you watch. the The foot injuries are a concern. And teams that I've talked to recently are, are a little bit worried about the kind of the medical stuff with his, the foot injuries, and, and maybe that's why he's a little bit straight line. Um, but I think he's he's got good initial acceleration, good vision. Um, when he hits daylight, he's got he's got a second gear to him. Obviously, in that system, but it doesn't matter what system. He averaged, I think, nine yards per carry. And 16 yards per uh, per catch this past year, and the pass protection you'd like to see an improvement upon. But you also you look at his body, and I think at about 210 pounds, five eight, he's going to be able to improve in that regard. So there are some areas he can get better, but I think he he runs hard and he's got some leg drive to him and good contact balance. So I think I think he winds up being a third round pick, and more importantly, forget where he's picked. 
I think he's going to be a good number two in the league. I don't know that he's ever going to be your number one, but I think as a, a number two in a rotation, he's going to be really productive. With Pollard, it's kind of it's just a different skill set because he was he was a wide receiver, moved as you know to to running back, also a kick returner. Um, he's he can catch the ball, he can run routes, he can do all those things. But again, he's never going to be your number one back. He's just going to be kind of an offensive weapon, a versatile piece that you can move around and do different things with. Ten years ago, he may have been a sixth, seventh round pick. Today's NFL, there's a lot more value there. So I think they're going to wind up getting drafted somewhere in the same range because because Pollard brings the versatility, and Henderson, you, you get a guy that you, you kind of just know what he's going to be. Next up is Bill Bender, and then Jory Epstein with USA Today. Hey, Todd. I kind of asked Mel the same question, but, I mean, two guys. Uh, one, Josh Allen, you know, what leads you to believe that he's worth that investment and will continue to improve as an edge rusher? And, two, you know, I'm one of the college guys, and, you know, how would you just explain why Ed Oliver was probably the, one of the best, if not the best player in college football the last two years versus – a guy that we have to talk ourselves into being a top ten player. All right, uh, Josh Allen. The big thing with Josh was can he learn how to become a pass rusher rather than just have have the size and speed? Go, that, that was my question going into this past year, and he he did. I mean, he clearly that was the difference. He knew how to get off of blocks after initially being reached by offensive linemen. He started to realize how to use his hands, developed a rip move, a swim move that was more effective, um, spin move back inside. And all of a sudden he went from, what was it, seven sacks in 16, seven sacks in 17, to uh, uh, 17 and a half sacks, I think it was, this past year. So the production, the statistics match up what you see on tape. And I, I think there's all really – when you look at him, there's only reason to believe that he's going to continue to develop. And I also think with so many teams using hybrid fronts, meaning 3-4, everyone says, that well, they're a base 4-3. Well, there are a lot of different types of 4-3 fronts, and everyone's in nickel about 60, 70% of the time, nickel or dime, meaning you know they're, they're not in their base four-man front or three-man front, and they're using five, six defensive backs. And you need guys on the field that can stay on the field, first, second, third down. And with Allen, he's not great in coverage, but he's he's capable. And he's really strong and active versus the run, and he can be a, a very good pass rusher. So I, I just – with Allen, I, I don't know that he's Bosa and that he's ever going to be – the elite of the elite, but I think he's just a notch below. And then with Ed Oliver, what I see on tape is a guy that has more potential than what we saw in, in college. I think they used him at nose tackle, and when you're playing the nose, you got a guard to each side, and it made it easy for teams to double-team him versus playing three technique where you can be on the outside shoulder of the guard and just penetrate, get up the field, kind of, you know, Warren Sapp, uh, Aaron Donald. I'm not saying he's those guys, but that's the, the type of technique and position and role that I think he's going to play at the next level, and I think he's going to benefit from it. He's got a quick first step. I know he's only – he's probably going to play at about 280, 
which is undersized for that position, but he's powerful and he's got shock in his hands and he knows he kind of knows the leverage and how to utilize it. What he's got to learn is how to finish as a pass rusher. But if if he gets with the right defensive line coach, I, I think he'll get there, and I, I think he's worth a top ten pick. I keep hearing now the Jets could take him at three, Oakland could take him at four, Tampa could take him at five, and the Giants could take him at six. So I'll be surprised if if we get to pick seven with Jacksonville and Ed Oliver still on the board. Jory Epstein is next, and then Henry Queen with the red and black. Hi, Paul. When you look at the quarterbacks this year and their height, how do you think that factored into team's evaluation, not in the sense of, oh, Kyle is shorter, but also these taller guys, and where do you think height is um, among the relevant characteristics for quarterbacks in this year's draft? That's a good question. I I think it's become less of a factor than ever. You know, whether it's Kyler at 5'10 and 1'8", or – I do think you, you actually you I like six seven to me gets scary, and I think there's a concern there with Tyree Jackson out of Buffalo because he's so tall and so long limbed, and there's some concerns with his knee injuries and, and everything else. Great guy, very intelligent, big time arm, athletic, and all and and all the things you look for from a talent standpoint, but the inconsistency with accuracy I think in part comes from trying to be consistent with with how long he is in, in, in the footwork. I, I just don't – NFL teams don't care as much anymore. We've seen success from, from shorter guys, and the game is changing to be it, – it, it's no longer where you've got to be under center, play action, you know, stand in the pocket and, and, and be that tall quarterback in, in the league. Now guys are – they want – teams want point guards. They want quick twitch. They want get the ball out, be able to move around, create space for yourself, and, and get the ball out, out quickly and anticipate things. So the more I talk to teams and the more I study offenses now, I, I just I don't think it's nearly as big a factor as it once, once was. And I mean, Baker, obviously, last year coming from the spread, just over six feet tall, you know there there are plenty of examples now in the league where I think the average is going to wind up being closer to six one six two, where it was six four six five. All right, we will go to Henry Queen, and then Joseph Duarte with the Houston Chronicle. Hey Todd, uh, you look like, look like you're pretty high on Riley Ridley uh, with him and Miko. What are the best case worst case scenarios you see for them? Yeah, I like Riley. You know, he didn't – his workout at Indy was not what I expected. I thought it was going to be a little bit better. Um, but on tape, he's just – he's a physical receiver who has good route running skills. And the more I – the longer I've been in this business, the more I appreciate that in terms of translating to the next level. You know, guys that know how to separate with their hands and, and use their body and, and – Box out guys and, and be physical, and that's what he is. Um, I, you look at his production over the last couple of years, he averaged 15 yards per catch. He went from 14 catches to 44 catches uh, this past year, and, and he be, kind of became the guy. Now, again, the numbers aren't great, but 
but I think he's going to wind up being – I mean, I've got a third-round grade on him, and I think he's going to go somewhere in that range. For a team that's looking for a number two, number three outside type of receiver. Um, with with Miko, he's more – He's more of the, you know, the slot guy, return specialist. He's got the speed. He's got explosiveness. He's not nearly, um, he's not nearly as polished as a, as a route runner, but he's, but he's someone who can create after the catch and, and, and do some, some more things and different things, uh, than Riley does. We'll go to Joseph Duarte, followed by Waji Albarudi with Florida Atlantic University. Thanks for doing this, Todd. I have a question. I just want to get your thoughts or projections on two other Houston players. Isaiah Johnson, who moved uh, from receiver to corner about halfway through his college career, and then linebacker Ameke Egbuli. Yeah, I work backwards. Egbuli, I, I, you know, I had both of those guys watching them live. Um, early in the year against Arizona to that game. And Egbuli is a player who I think has some versatility. I think he's going to be really good on special teams. I, I like his tape. He obviously has some physical limitations. But but I think I think he's going to wind up being probably a fourth, fifth round, uh, I would say fifth round pick. And I, I think he's going to hang around and, and continue to get better in the league. And then – when you look at the cornerback position, so many teams are looking for press corners. And I, I just I I know that he's I know that he's um he's not been a corner forever and I know that there's some work that has to be done. But when you look at Isaiah Johnson, he is long. He is fast for his size. I know you ran a what was it? A four, yeah, four four zero at the combine at two hundred eight pounds, six two two zero eight and four four. And I remember being at that game. It was early in the season. I think it was the second week of the season. And one of my friends in the league was like, "You got to check this guy out. He's, you know, there's not a lot of tape on him because he moved from wide receiver, but he can catch the ball. He's got ball skills. So long short, I think he's going to wind up going earlier than people think. I would say fourth round's probably the latest, and it wouldn't. Uh, it, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if he got in the third round, but somewhere in that third, fourth round range, and I'd be very surprised if we got to round five and Johnson was still on the board. Next up is Waji Albarudi, and then we'll go to Susan Miller Degnan with the Miami Herald. Hey, Todd. Devin Singletary out of Florida Atlantic, Florida Atlantic is a bigger name, but his teammate, Kareth White, seems to be rising after his really strong pro day. What do you see in them as prospects, and where do you think they'll be drafted? Yeah, White, I mean, he ran, I think it was a fourth. I had 4.37 from a scout. And obviously that's it's a big-time time, and, and it, it catches people's eyes. I think he's going to wind up being a late-round pick because of the potential there. He's a little bit undersized, 5'10", 197. But I, I think a team will take a shot on him and, and hope maybe special teams and, and develop him. Singletary was and I've said this before, probably the most disappointing workout and time of the combine for me was, was Devin Singletary. I had him as the second best running back in the class. Four six six is tough to swallow, even though I don't think it's the most important thing in terms of, of running backs, the top end speed. 
I just think he plays faster than a lot of other guys who ran in the in the four fours and four fives. So I, I still think he's got a chance to be a third round pick. He may fall to the fourth, but I also I expect three four years from now to look back and say, you know what, this is a classic example of teams and myself included worrying too much about numbers and combine results and everything else and forgetting about the tape as we get closer to the draft and further away from the season. We'll go to Susan Miller-Degnan and then Bob McManaman with the Arizona Republic. Hey, Todd. You talked about Joe Jackson, Jaquan Johnson, and Sheldrick Redwine of the, of the University of Miami. Um, what about running back Travis Homer, defensive tackle Gerald Willis, and cornerback Michael Jackson. I know Homer did well at the Combine. Jackson ran a 4.45 four, at the Combine, and he's 6'1", 210 pounds. And Willis supposedly is UM's top guy in the draft. Yeah, Willis is, you know, obviously the Florida transfer. Had the, the issues in terms of off the field. But you talk to people in Miami, and, and they kind of swear by his maturity and, and how much he's grown. And I think if you're just studying the tape, he's physically he's a late first, early second round talent. Now he may he may get to the third, probably get to the third because of concerns and just the one one big year. But he I would absolutely agree that he's he's their best talent in terms of um the Miami prospects this year. Michael Jackson, I didn't think he was gonna run as fast as he did. You know, that that's a good time. Six one Almost 200 pounds. He ran a 4.45, and he's a he's a good player. I mean, I think he's going to wind up being a, a probably a fourth, fifth round draft pick. And so you're talking about Redwine, Johnson, Jackson. All three of those guys are going to be somewhere in that mid round, fourth, fifth, fifth round type of range. And uh, Travis Homer, I think Homer's probably going to be fifth, sixth. You know, this running back class isn't great at the top. It's not like, you know, recent years where we've had Todd Gurley or Zeke Elliott, just uh, Leonard Fournette, McCaffrey, all those guys. But there's a lot of depth in this class. And I think Homer's going to be in that probably third tier of of running backs in terms of the third day he's going to be there. And, yes, he had good workout numbers. He was a, a good player. I think he's got room to improve. 200 pounds, 448. I mean, those are really good numbers. So I think, uh, I think probably all of these Miami guys are going to be outside of Willis, who will be the first off the board probably on day two. I think the rest of those guys will, if they're not late third, we're talking fourth, fifth, worst case, sixth round projection. We'll go to Bob McManaman and then Matthew Kawahara with the San Francisco Chronicle. Todd, in addition to finding out if you're as sold uh, as Mel is on Kyler going number one to the Cardinals, I'm curious if you have any reservations about his baseball love, if it's if that could be a problem, and who do you see the Cardinals going at with the second pick, the first in the overall, uh, in the second round? You know, I I did early on, but the more I've talked to people around him, the more – I've come to realize that football is, is Tyler's first love, and it always has been. And now, are you concerned if you 
use the first overall pick or any first round pick on him that that he has another option yeah i mean it's it's only natural because right or wrong when you're making this decision and you're you're investing 30 million dollars guaranteed you want to know that this guy needs it and it's basically the only thing that he wants and i i think i really believe that it is uh but i think it, it factors in a little bit just to the evaluation and to the thought process but for me i I trust the people I've talked to, and I believe that football is number one for him. Um, I wouldn't go 99.9. I'd go closer to, like, 95, but what's the difference? Because Kuiper keeps saying 99.9% chance that he's going to be picked. I, I don't know how you, you know, how you quantify that and and feel good about it. I, I, I think it will be a huge surprise if he's not the first overall pick, but We've been surprised before. I think after that, offensive line, guard, corner, wide receiver, those are some of the positions that they could look when you get to round two. I think this this interior offensive line class is really good. And I, I think they could wind up taking a you know, like a Titus Howard and from Alabama State and moving him inside, Dalton Reisner from Kansas State and doing the same thing. Um Drew Samia from from Oklahoma, Connor McGovern, who's really seen his stock rise. So those are some of the interior offensive linemen. The cornerback class is, I've said before, it's it's really good on day two where you could get a a player like David Long from Michigan, Julian Love from Notre Dame, Sean Bunting from Central Michigan. Feel really good about the value in day two, that second, third round range, um, not have to spend a first round pick to go get them. So I think, you know, guard, corner, and receiver, as I said, are, are three of the positions that I would I would look for them to try to target if they can, if, if the, the right guy's available. We'll go to Matthew Kawahara with the San Francisco Chronicle. Hi, Pat. I'm just curious for your take on uh, what you think is the best way for the Raiders to uh, maximize the three first-round picks that they have, and also just what would be the best-case scenario in your mind for them at number four? Good question. I mean, best case scenario is Nick Bosa falls. <laughs> I don't see it happening, but I think finding an edge rusher for obvious reasons, they've, they've got to find a guy that can get after the quarterback. If it's not Bosa, I would probably lean Quinn and Williams with that pick. Maybe Ed Oliver, but I, I think it's more guys like Bosa and Williams that fit what they're looking for in terms of big, steady, consistent guys. Um, and then you look at 24, 27, and 35. I mean, you got three picks. I wouldn't package picks to move up for anyone, to be quite honest. I, I think when when you look at the draft and you study it, the teams that have more picks are the ones that typically wind up winning because as you know, we're all geniuses and everyone's got all the answers, but it's about 50, you know, 50% chance that you, you hit on a guy in the first round. And the, the percentages keep on going down as you progress into the second, third, fourth, and through the seventh round. So I, I just want more shots at it. I, I just want to take my hacks and, and bring in as many guys, quality players that I can bring in. And my guess is that Mayock is thinking the same thing. Now, can he talk John into that? That's the big question. Um, but John didn't bring in Mike to 
you know, to, just to watch tape for him. I, I think that he needs a sounding board, and I think they're going to work together. So while Gruden clearly has the final say, and everyone knows that, uh, I, I think that, that Mike will help with that. And I think when you look at this class, if you can get a defensive lineman, and you can get an, whether it's a, a corner, a linebacker, tight end. I mean, there's depth at all of those positions. I think if you wind up, I mean, you could walk away with, let's say, Quinnen Williams, then a, a Cleveland Farrell from Clemson at, at edge rusher, uh, a cornerback at 27 or 35, Josh Jacobs at running back. I mean, there's, you just put four names in there and you look at how much better that football team will be with those four names, I don't know that there's a single player that you'd rather trade, you know, one or two of those additional picks to go move up to get that's going to give you a better shot of improving your roster than just staying home and, and drafting four players in the top 35. Thanks to all the media members today for your time on the phone. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of the questions. Um, it is a busy week, I know, for everyone, but if there's something else you're looking for, something I might be able to help you with, please feel free to send me a note. But appreciate your joining us today, and have a great rest of your day.